I actually just turned off dark mode on most of my apps. <laughs> really? You fucking rebel. <laughs> Going back to the default like a <laughs> right. goddamn rebel. Fuck my corneas. <laughs> Let's do this. Rods and cones be damned. <laughs> I'm going hard. Rods and cones be gone. Be damned. Welcome to episode 278, the first Design Details episode of 2019. I'm Brian Levin. And I am the 2019 version of Marshall Bach. New New and improved. improved. Yes. (laughs) Did we just say that in unison? I think so. Yeah. It's new year, new me, man. (laughs) Yeah. What's changed? (laughs) Not a whole lot. (laughs) You're a little bit lazier, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. I actually shaved today for the first time since I went on break. So You're ahead of me. (laughs) I'm saving that till the last minute. I'm excited about the the year to come and the exciting things that we'll have to talk about in the coming months. And uh, yeah, it's going to be good. I'm excited. Tell me your, your favorite or most memorable moment of our two weeks off of recording design details, a.k.a. the holidays. <laughs> most memorable moment. Uh, actually, when we got back from uh, visiting my family for Christmas, Virginia went on like a three-day trip to a spa, which meant that I had the house to myself, me and the dog, for three whole days, and no no work, no nothing. And I just sat on the couch <laughs> and watched TV <laughs> and movies and YouTube and uh. stuff for, for three solid days. It was outstanding. It was glorious. I wish I could live in that time forever. I literally created like a pillow fort with blankets <laughs> and shit, <laughs> like had everything Amazing. within reach and and like all my charging cables and everything is like, I am plugging in and not leaving. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Nice. Wait, what'd you do? Like some, like go skiing or some active bullshit? Uh-huh. That was actually going to be my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured. I don't know if I can say that today was the best day of the holidays, but it was a good day. So uh, the holidays were great. Uh, I've been in Colorado for two weeks with family and uh, my girlfriend came for the second time. And we just had a super great time. Just relaxed. We went skiing. We opened presents. We ate good food. We cooked good food. But today has been particularly good. I drove to Keystone Ski Resort. I was second in line for the lift. I skied maybe six hours, five hours straight and did almost 40,000 vertical feet, which is a pretty good ski day. I made it home when it was still daytime. So I made it home at four and I hot tubbed. At my in my parents' hot tub, and then my mom made green chili pot pie, which was dope. And then I'm recording this, and after this, we're gonna go watch uh, Indiana Jones, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, ah, dude. is today the best day ever? It sounds pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> All right, so we are back in 2019 with design details. And Marshall, I wanted to point out that today is a special day, I guess, for me and maybe for Bryn if he's listening, but. Uh, We're recording this on January 5th, 2019. January 5th, 2015 was the release date of episode one of Design Details. So I've been doing this almost weekly for four years. Yeah, that's crazy. I'll I'll ride these coattails. I'm cool with that. (laughs) Quite an auspicious date to be recording on. This is is cool. Feels good. Happy happy to be a part of the, the fam. Yes, I'm happy to have you part of the fam, Marshall. Well, on this special day, let's get into episode 278. Uh, Before we start talking about design and such, we want to thank a new sponsor that is supporting Design Details in 2019, and it is ReadyMag. 
ReadyMag is a design tool in the browser that lets you draw the design of a web publication and publish it online. You don't have to write a line of code and you have complete creative freedom. So I first came across ReadyMag when uh, a few episodes ago, I can't remember the exact number, I was talking about how sad I was that Claudio Guglieri took down his absolutely beautiful blog posts that he put on his website. They were these bespoke posts with custom artwork and photography and typography. I believe this was uh, episode 273, Bespoke Artisanal Single Batch Blog Posts. Holy shit, we even titled it after this. So I was really, really sad that he took those down. So after we recorded that, maybe we did this in a follow-up, but uh, I reached out to him and I said, where did those go? Turns out he put them on readymag.com. And so uh, we'll have links in the show notes where you can go and you should look at them. But I think this highlights just how cool ReadyMag is at putting a web publication online. You don't have to write a line of code. It is responsive. It's fast. It's high resolution. It is easy to get started. And uh, I'm really, really excited to, to have them as a sponsor and, and especially to, to see what's possible just with, with Claudio's work there. So it is free. You can use it as long as you want. It comes with a library of over 1,500 fonts, advanced animations. You can have unlimited projects. Uh, but if you want a little bit more power, like a custom domain, if you want to upload your own custom fonts, if you want to have your own custom analytics, or even write your own custom code, if you are so inclined, you can upgrade to a paid plan. And the first 50 users who do so and apply the promo code design details are going to get 40% off their first payment. So the first 50 users, or the first 50 people who apply the promo code design details, all one word, you get 40% off. So that URL is readymag.com, but I highly, highly recommend going and just looking at what's possible uh, with Claudio's case studies and his blog posts that he's preserved for eternity, I suppose, on, on ReadyMag. So that's readymag.com and use the promo code design details. Uh, but even if you're not getting on that paid plan, it is totally free to start uh, with tons of awesome features right out of the box. So thank you to ReadyMag. Go check them out at readymag.com. Thanks, ReadyMag. I also want to call out that now that 2019 is in full swing, uh, we would love to have more sponsors like ReadyMag so we can share good products with people who listen to Design Details. So if you are working at a company or you run a company that is hiring or working on a product that you want other designers to see. So if you would like to get in touch and, and talk about what's possible there, you can reach me at brian at spec.fm or uh, get in touch directly with Sarah, our producer, that's Sarah at spec.fm. So thank you, Ready Mag, and for anyone else who wants to join uh, Design Details and become part of the sponsor family. That's it, that's all for, for sponsorships. All right, well, hit me with some some Twitter follow-up. What were people saying while we were offline? Yeah, well, this, this one is near and dear to my heart. So Ravi Ajla, who is Ravi Ajla Design, he says, uh, hoping in the new year you don't shy away from talking about UX and interesting features in video games. The problems us UX designers face in the video game industry are very similar to what product designers are facing in app design. And I could not agree more <laughs> wholeheartedly, which is why I bring that shit up all the time. Relatively frequently, if not in the main body of the episode, at least are recommending game related things and uh, one cool things because it's all very much experience design and, and I think there are so many parallels we can draw. So do not worry, that will continue to be a topic moving forward. What else we got here? So Krish Dunn 
that's underscore underscore CCLD on Twitter, says in reply to our Hidden Shortcuts episode a couple episodes ago, he says, in the terminal, you can use dollar sign underscore to easily change to your newly created directory without having to use CD or type the new folder name twice. Lazy but neat. He said, does this count as a hidden shortcut? I think it does. I, I don't use terminal all that often. I only use it to type the yeah. word homebridge every once in a while to, to run my smart thing stuff. But uh, Brian, do you spend much time in, in terminal? Yeah, I do. I think I haven't, well, I know I haven't explored the full power there. Uh, the the thing I take the most advantage of are aliases. So you can alias commands to run other commands and then Git has its own set of aliases. So I have a bunch of short character codes that I type to perform longer strings of actions, uh, which I, I use all the time. Um, I use it for, for file navigation as well as for like deploying spectrum and things like that. Yes, dollar sign underscore definitely qualifies. Did you know about it? No, no. I didn't either. So thanks, Chris. I appreciate that. So uh, Federico Zanatello says, uh, if you're interested and care about design, the Design Details FM podcast is a pure goldmine. Give it a try. Actually, that's the wrong thing. He, the next thing he said is... <laughs> oh, it just had to slip that one in there. I must admit that it is all Marshall Bach's fault who produced an awesome Design Details FM episode about his home setup a few weeks ago, which in, in response to that smart home stuff, uh, there was a little conversation about that. Happy to spread the disease far and wide. <laughs> Jesus. Were we just compared to the flu? Smart home itis. The smart home disease. Okay, smart yeah, home itis. Yes. I think that that's uh, good for the Twitter follow-ups. Awesome. And I believe you are going to treat me like a five-year-old and explain something to me, Brian. Okay, so I'm going to try and work through a, a topic that I want to talk about succinctly, but I also want Marshall's help to weave in why uh, a lot of these features are designed the way they are and you know what's going on behind the scenes with security and privacy online. So uh, I had a tweet over the holidays because somebody tweeted out a link to like google.com slash my account slash purchases or something like that. And it's this series of pages that I'd never seen before where Google basically scrapes any email that comes through Gmail and they compile a list of things that you have bought from any service ever, anything you've ever subscribed to and anything you've ever made a reservation for. So you can see why this would be useful for, you know, if you book a flight, they add it to your calendar automatically and they remind you with push notifications. So I, I get that there's a lot of utility there, but I had this tweet where I sort of exclaimed that it was a little unsettling to see a list of everything I've purchased from Apple, from Amazon, from Spotify, like you name it, anything I've ever purchased where I got a receipt to Gmail showed up there. So it just reminded me that, you know, in, in 2018, I did start spending a lot more time thinking about online security and privacy. I've listened to podcasts, read articles, and have started started basically doing the bare minimum that uh, a normal person should do. I'm not a, a journalist. I'm not a state spy, uh, as far <laughs> as you know. But there's just a, a bare minimum that everyday people like you or I can do to just be a little bit smarter as they navigate the digital world. So I want to talk about some of those bare minimum things, and we can talk about a little bit more power features. But we'll just go through and talk about why they're useful. And hopefully we can talk about you know some of the design patterns here that, that are helping people be more safe and secure online. So we'll start with the basics. Uh, we can breeze through this because I'm sure our audience knows the story here. Uh, if you aren't already, you should be using a password manager with a discrete password per site that you use. Marshall, do you do this? I do do this. I have a different password for every single site that I go to. I have a very strong password for all of my main things that would like fuck me up if somebody got into them. But yeah, and, and I use one password and the iCloud keychain. Those are my two. And I guess Chrome's keychain thing. I should really consolidate. But yeah, <laughs> yes. Lots of keychains. 
Okay, so I use 1Password as well. I highly recommend it. LastPass is a suitable alternative, but I think 1Password does a couple cool things uh, that I think are worth calling out. So they have a feature called Watchtower, and basically just highlights when you are using passwords that have been compromised via a, a company that sort of releases records of, of a hack or a breach. It will tell you if, if one of your passwords was hacked. Uh, they also show you here are passwords that are weaker than normal. Here are passwords you are reusing across services. And here are sites where you log in that you are not currently taking advantage of two-factor authentication. So I really appreciate that feature in 1Password. I don't know if it exists in LastPass, but I think these kinds of surfacing of bad decisions that you wouldn't necessarily know are bad decisions is really useful for just good security hygiene is just making sure you have unique passwords across the board. You're taking as much advantage of two-factor as possible, that kind of thing. So Watchtower. I, I also have, just for anyone who is still not aboard the password manager boat, uh, I'll tell a little story. So in 2013, I think, uh, Adobe was hacked and they lost like tens of millions of passwords. And this was back before I knew anything about online security. So I didn't have any password manager. I was using the same exact password for everything I ever used. Brian, tisk 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 tisk. So lo and behold, some hackers found my password on Adobe and they thought, hmm, I should try this password on GitHub. And they logged into my GitHub account and they successfully stole security tokens that were very, very important. And it was a very big problem in 2013. So... Ever since that day, password manager, unique passwords per service, and two-factor across the board. How, how has your life changed since iOS 12 introduced you know, integration with, with password managers? Unbelievable. Yeah? It's the best integration. It's the best iOS update in years. Just quality of life. Uh, I mean, it works with iCloud Keychain, so even if you're not using 1Password, but just the 1Password integration, quality of life improvement of being able to log into services from that one button is super, super useful. Yeah, that was the prime demotivating factor for me up until recently. What do you think of, of the implementation there? So I was thinking about this the other day, and I think it's about as easy as it can be, but it's still pretty tough. Like the better your password is, the harder it is to do anything on any device that you're not completely logged in with everything on. Like when I got my new iPad and it uh, was a pain in the ass to set up, man, it was like I had to install one password first. Basically, that's like the first thing you do because everything else branches from there. So yeah, it was just a series of of like having to copy stuff in and then I hate doing like typing in from one device to an reading on one device this long 32 digit character uh, password into another device with fucking curly braces and semicolons and shit like I hate it and it, 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 I don't have to do it very often but when I do have to do it it fucking sucks every time it's the worst and there's the entire time there is the, the tension of like, oh, if I mess up one character, I'm going to have to do this all over again, right? So it's not even enjoyable the first time, even if I get it right, because the whole time I'm nervous. Like, I'm not, I'm not happy with that aspect of it. But otherwise, it's very nice. Like, even if you need to paste something into a web browser and it's not recognizing the, the password field and giving you the thing, it's pretty easy to go over. And at least in 1Password, the initial tap on a field automatically copies it to your clipboard. So it really cuts down on the number of taps you have to do to paste in a password. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, I'd call it related to that. I wanted to talk a little bit about two-factor. So the, the change that iOS made where if you get a two-factor code as a text message, uh, it will pre-populate a button above your keyboard that just has that code so you tap it once you don't have to switch apps or, or pull down the notification and memorize a number or anything like that i've definitely used that many many times it is very good love that feature yes okay so i wanted to talk about two-factor a little bit more in the the sense of 
is two-factor really secure? So I think one of the biggest problems that exist today with two-factor is a lot of people use their phone, or specifically their phone number. So a lot of people <laughs> <Okay>. uh, get... <laughs> uh, hot get a take. Hot take. <laughs> if you get text messages or, or phone calls or anything like that as a two-factor security method, it is inherently insecure because of a thing called SIM jacking or SIM hijacking. And I listened to a episode of Reply All about this. And I think there's a new podcast I've been listening to from Motherboard about online security. But what people can do is simply social engineer their way to get access to your SIM card so that some a hacker will call AT&T. They have through Googling public records, they have your address, maybe through the Equifax leak, they have your uh, social security number. So they have uh, enough credentials that they can basically get access to your phone account. And then they take over your SIM, then they try to log into your email, they get a two-factor text message, they have access to that text message, and then they take over every account that you've ever, ever owned. So that's scary. It is very scary. And the way to protect against it is still not bulletproof, but I believe every major carrier supports it now, but it's called a carrier pin. So for example, I on my AT&T account, I set up a pin, which basically you're required to enter or, or say to a customer support agent anytime you want to make a change to your account. That means that if a hacker has your mother's maiden name, your social security number, your passport, whatever it might be, they still would need to know this pin in order to hijack your SIM. Cool. So what's your pin? <laughs> Marshall, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Yeah, so close. <laughs> so the note on two-factor is text messages and phone calls is actually less preferable to Authenticator app like Google Authenticator or even just 1Password's built-in two-factor uh, feature. There's some flaws to that, but it's still technically safer than a text just because texts are unreliable and then SIM hijacking is a very real thing and having more control over that, the better. So for example, um, I, I think my I have it set up so that anytime I log in with my Google account, I have to confirm it in the Gmail app. Is that a, is that a thing? Uh, maybe, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of two-factor apps. There's like, there's Authy, there is uh, Duo. It's like at GitHub, we use Duo. So you get a push notification anytime you log in and you have to like manually approve it and it shows you the IP address and city and state and all that. So there are other apps and I think a lot of those are tend to skew more enterprisey. And uh, one thing that also we used it Facebook and you can get it for personal use. It's probably a good thing to get, but seems to skew more towards businesses is just a YubiKey. So a physical thing that plugs into your devices that you have to physically touch in order to authenticate. Yep. Cool. So two factor, use an app, but if you must use a text message, make sure you have a carrier pin set. Okay. Let's go to the next thing that every single person should do right this second, which is freeze all of your credit reports. So if you are a U.S. citizen, I should couch that. So if you're a U.S. citizen, um, basically just assume that every piece of information that credit reporters know about you is now public because Equifax basically lost all of your data. So assume it's all out there, uh, your social security number, how much money you made, every address you've ever lived. So what you should be doing is freezing all of your credit reports. And I must say it's pretty easy to do. I did it uh, a few months ago. Um, you go through each provider, I think it's Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, and you just say, 
do not allow any credit checks on my report. And that means nobody can open a bank account in your name. Nobody can finance uh, a product in your name. What if you want to do one of those things? Yeah. So the way that it works is you can actually unfreeze it for a specified period of time. So for example, I applied for a new credit card and I unfroze it for one day while I made allowed the credit card company to perform a credit check against me. So you might have to do that if you're doing the iPhone upgrade program or if you're buying a house or a car or anything like that. But it, it has a date ranged unfreeze, which is nice. So everyone should do this because just assume that right now it's incredibly easy for anybody to open a bank account in your name, which you definitely do not want to happen. No. How would you even like prove that you didn't do that after the fact? That sounds like a nightmare I don't want to be involved in. So Exactly. So freeze your credit reports. When you talk about encryption, uh, I'm, this is not my, my forte here, but a few things to call out. So one is that if you are using an iPhone or, or Mac, I'm not sure what Windows and Android world looks like here. Uh, but if you're using a Mac, you should have your hard drive encrypted. That's in System Preferences, Security, and then File Vault. You just set a password and it encrypts your hard drive. If you are on iOS, uh, you should make sure that all of your iOS backups are encrypted as well. This is just really, really easy steps to make sure that your, your data is safe. So iOS and Mac users, encrypt those backups. Do it right now. Okay, the next thing is uh, we're getting more into, I don't know, this is more technical stuff that most people probably don't care about. It's getting a little more into the paranoia realm of who's tracking me and where's my information going. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, DNS providers and VPNs. Did you hear the tick tick on the line? Oh my God. Was that Mark Zuckerberg? FBI? <laughs> so there's a few things that are really, really easy to set up, which cost a few dollars, but I think in general are worth it. The first thing is to use the 1.1.1.1 DNS resolver provided by Cloudflare. So I cannot explain this any better than simply Googling Cloudflare 1.1.1.1 because they have a really, really great explanation of what this does. But essentially what they're doing is providing more security and anonymous logging that sits between your device and uh, an ISP. So instead of routing traffic through your Comcast provider where they track you know, websites that you visit, IP addresses, all this kind of stuff. But anyways, all this information flowing through ISPs is inherently insecure. You don't know where that information is going, how it's being resold. So you want to be routing your traffic through a different DNS provider. Uh, in this case, Cloudflare, it, I think this came out in 2018. Uh, it's 1.1.1.1. They have an iPhone app that does this automatically for you. And if you use a Mac, you can just configure your network settings to, to go through this DNS endpoint. And it is worth doing because it takes two seconds. And not only is it faster, so you're going to have faster resolutions on browsing the internet, uh, but it's more secure and they only keep logs for 24 hours. Uh, how much is it? So that is free. Yeah. The second thing is a VPN. Uh, so I use iVPN. There are a ton of VPNs you can use. I use it on both my Mac and my iPhone. And basically what that does is masks uh, certain patterns and information about the things that I'm using the internet for. So on my phone and on my computer, I can change you know, my IP address so it looks like it's coming from a different country than, than it actually is. And it also does some encryption before it ever hits the, the network around uh, making sure that you know the web pages that you view aren't actually being transmitted in, in plain text. Again, I, I wish I was more technical in this realm, but I recommend reading why VPNs are valuable, how they can be useful. The technology has gotten super, super simple here. So just 
installing an iPhone app and, and I have the, the desktop app as well uh, on my Mac. And it's just peace of mind that network traffic is being encrypted before it, it leaves my device. Yeah, yeah. I think I get um, encrypt.me through my Eero Pro subscription. Yeah. I don't I have no idea what it does, but it's it's three letters that are supposed to be important for security. So I have that toggle switch on. Yeah, yeah. And then there, there's a bunch of others. And when I was in China, I had trouble with them because China's firewall is crazy. And I think I used ExpressVPN. So there's a bunch. They're all pretty good. I would just do your research on, you know, who is the company that's providing this service? How are they making money? So for example, I chose iVPN because they're pretty transparent about who works at the company, how they use data. They give you really good controls and then I pay them so I know that they're not reselling my data or at least that's the theory. So, okay, DNS, VPNs, uh, let's keep going. So this one is super paranoid and we've talked about it a little bit on the show and if you've ever watched Black Mirror, you know where this fear comes from, but I have a webcam cover on my computer. They cost like $2 on Amazon. It's a tiny little stick thing that has a little slider, a uh, little slidey dot that covers your webcam and you can slide it to uncover it for when you're taking video calls. I always leave it covered and it's just peace of mind that somebody isn't silently turning on my webcam without activating that green light. Okay, a few more things uh, I wanted to call it here, which I think are, are useful. Social media and location sharing. So Marshall, you mentioned this the other day that you, you don't tweet when you're going on vacation. You always share things after the fact. Correct. For the very obvious reason that you don't want people to know when you are not at home. So there's a few other ways that people can know that you're not at home. And it turns out a lot of that is embedded in photos you take. And, and if you post photos anywhere online, even if it's not of a vacation, photos are tagged with latitude and longitude. So it's very easy to discern, you know, this was not taken in San Francisco. Marshall is away from home. That is how iPhotos knows how to group albums by location. Uh, it's just storing that metadata every time you take a photo. So be cautious of that. Or I think you can disable that entirely if you're willing to forego that sort of automatic grouping and filterability of being able to you know, search photos by location, which is kind of nice. But anyways, if you're tweeting photos, all that information usually is ending up on the social service itself. I, I'm not sure the latest on if Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram is scrubbing any of that. My hunch is they don't because I think they all maintain maps of where you're uploading photos from. So... You can review some of those settings. Uh, if you're using iOS, just go into your privacy settings, review who is using your location, review who has access to uh, photos, because those kinds of things can expose where you are at any given time. I included a link here also about, it, it's, it's worth taking a second to review who has access to your camera on your smartphone. So apps often ask for permissions. A lot of times people blindly just accept those permissions. And do they? People do. And a, a researcher found that if you grant an app access to the camera, you are literally giving them access to the camera, whether or not you are pressing a shutter button. So they built an app where they could, you know, take a selfie of you without you realizing that they were taking a selfie of you. As long as the app is open. That's right. So review who has access to your camera and location and only give that to people you trust. Often that requires removing apps that you don't want having access to your camera. I feel like there is a combined view in settings that allows you to see, is it in privacy? Yeah, privacy and then a camera. And you get, uh, instead of having to go into each app and seeing if it has a certain setting, whether that's notifications or camera or microphone, you can go and see all this stuff in privacy. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, all of the apps that can use my camera are switched on. 
or that have requested access. What I typically do though is I say no if I know it's no, or a lot of times there's a a pattern has emerged, and because of the way iOS does permission requests, an app developer can only ask the user one time. Right. So. In order to get around blowing this one chance, this one opportunity that doesn't require the user to go through the settings app, which is a scary jungle for most people, they prompt you beforehand. They say, hey, we're going to ask you if we can use your camera. Do you want us to ask you? If not, <laughs> like we can ask you later. It's cool. right? We will save that option value. Uh-huh. So only if you say... Yeah, I want to use a camera. Then it, and a lot of times they'll even have a, this is what the thing is going to look like. And you want to tap on this button, the one that says allow, so they don't blow that opportunity. So usually the reason that all of these are checked on is because I've never allowed an app to get to that point. You know, I, I never even let it ask me unless I know I'm going to say yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's smart. I think it is really interesting that Actually, uh, just those those system prompts in general for permissions and then the way that Apple redesigned like the way that apps are allowed to prompt for ratings. I think all those in general are really favorable to consumers, uh, especially the ratings thing. You know, you get one chance and there's a, a very consistent system dialogue to rate. And I think that probably had a huge net effect of more ratings on the App Store. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. And it's also a dice gamble, right? Like, or it's a gamble. Tossing the dice, mixed metaphors. <laughs> a dice gamble. Um, it's, a one. Dice, it, it's one of those dice gambles where like, now it's a lot easier for somebody to just really quickly give you stars without having to go into the app store or any of that. Exactly, yeah. So like, if your app sucks and you ask a user, hey, do you like my app at the wrong time when they're feeling frustrated or something shitty just happened, like, it's real easy for them to give you one star too. Because let's be honest, it's either one star or five stars. Yeah, and I, I think that's where the design consideration comes in is like when to prompt for that because there's probably certain patterns or certain durations of a user doing a thing that you have a pretty safe bet they're going to give you a good rating. Like for example, you probably shouldn't prompt for a rating after they submitted a customer support request through your app or something like that, you know? Yeah, I, I think Apple has done a pretty good job of responding to a lot of these developer requests because that was that was a huge one. So last thing I want to talk about is browsers. I use an ad blocker. There are arguments to be had on on whether or not ad blockers are ethical when it comes to consuming free content. Okay, so I use an ad blocker. If you aren't, it makes the internet faster and more enjoyable to use. You will have to live with however your conscience responds to possibly taking revenue away from websites that give you content for free. So that is up to each person. I use them, lots of people use them, and uh, the guilt doesn't keep me up at night. I want to call it specifically browsers to use in general. So I recently switched to Brave, which is a new browser. I haven't even heard of that. Oh boy. What's it for, Mac? Mac, iOS, Android, as far as I know. Brave spelled like the Pixar movie? Like the word, brave.com. They got that URL, yeah. This browser, so they just redid the entire design. They, they built it on top of Chromium in a recent switch in December 2018. So it looks exactly like Chrome. It is a very familiar experience. The settings pages look like Chrome. It behaves like Chrome because it technically is Chrome. But out of the box, it comes with a ton of privacy, security, and ad blocking features. I recommend this browser in my time using it, which isn't super extensive, but they're doing a couple cool things that I think is worth calling out. So one is 
They are integrating Tor into private tabs as an option. You can open a private tab in Tor. I'm not super familiar with Tor. I've never used it, but for people who are really, really concerned about privacy online, Tor is a browser that basically makes it impossible for companies and internet entities to track where traffic is coming from. So that is built smartly into Brave, and I use their their mobile app now. I actually switched the DuckDuckGo app in my dock to Brave, but my default search engine is still DuckDuckGo on, on desktop and web. So I'm adding a little bit of hygiene there around like where my searches are ever allowed to go, even if I'm using a different app as the browser. But Brave is also doing something cool with their business model, which I think Marshall maybe is an interesting design discussion. But basically what they're doing is they understand this ethical quandary with ad blockers. And so what they're saying is if you turn at your ad blocker off, you will start to earn credits. <laughs> and you can then give those credits to sites that you read in the form of micropayment. So it's built on crypto, some blockchain technology. I don't know how this would scale. I don't know exactly how this will end up paying off for any publisher because publishers have to sort of opt in to receive these payments from Brave. It's not very well known. But who knows, it could go that direction. But I think from a business model perspective, it is interesting because basically Brave is whitelisting ads that they think are good that you wouldn't mind seeing. So Brave's making money for this free browser that they build. Publishers make money for displaying those ads on their website. And uh, then you don't feel guilty because you can also earn credits by viewing those ads and give those to publishers that you frequent as well. So there's like this three angles of of money flowing around that I feel like alleviates a lot of the guilt of using an ad blocker. Do they do a balanced? Is there any sort of a graph that shows you your cheated ads versus your earned ads? You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm how many sure. points you've earned versus how how much, you know, ad revenue you've removed from a site by, by turning the ad blocker on? I don't think Does it shows sense? you how much ad revenue you've removed, but it, you do start to build up a balance of what they call BAT, which is sort of their cryptocurrency, I think. Oh, I guess balance is the wrong term. I, I mean, the the equilibrium but between how much you take versus how much you give. Oh, I see. No, I'm not sure about that. That would be interesting. I would want to see that. The thing that was appealing to me about Brave is literally it looks and feels like Chrome. And the way that they the setup works is if you are using Chrome as your default browser, they can basically sync everything all at once and then they just add on specific security features so all my bookmarks came over all my cookies came over like i wasn't logged out of everything it saved all of my preferences for aesthetics uh, it saved all of my extensions most of them i had to reinstall a couple developer extensions that i use but they add, they add on these default security things so for example uh, i'll just call these out so they block third party party fingerprinting they third party can we stop for a second and appreciate <laughs> <Shit>. that? <laughs> they <laughs> so they block third-party fingerprinting. Uh, they can enforce that the browser uses HTTPS everywhere. I have mine to block ads by default. They inherit a lot of stuff from Chrome. So like you can add a do not track request with all of your browsing traffic. You can opt in to whether or not your browser URL bar uses autocomplete because that autocomplete obviously is storing and performing searches on your behalf while you're typing. So there's some security preferences or issues there. So they give make that an optional thing where you can turn that off. Uh, so there's just these nice things that come by default without really sacrificing any of the usability or design that is Chrome. And it's fast. So I'm a fan. There are obviously lots of alternatives. I think Safari is, is doing fine with some of their latest work on preventing 
bad advertising actors. Uh, Firefox is doing amazing work with containers where you can contain applications to a specific tab and those cookies and tracking does not leak out into other tabs. So I think specifically they have Facebook and Google containers right now. So anyways, browsers are, are getting better about this, helping make consumers safer. Uh, I think Brave is definitely worth checking out, but otherwise, you know, review those Chrome settings, make sure you know where you're sending, sending your information. DuckDuckGo has been a great default browser that I've been talking about for the last few weeks, ever since they sponsored the show. Uh, so successful sponsor for them in converting me, I guess. Yeah, I think that, that wraps it up, Marshall. These are all the things that I've been thinking about. I'm impressed with your forays into the, to the world of, of security. Here's my concern, Marshall. My concern is that none of it matters. My concern is that all of this stuff is just easily breakable. And I guess I, I kind of go into this with the assumption that the government has workarounds for almost every every single thing that I've ever set up to protect myself. I think that if I had the choice between that information being private or being shared with uh, somebody who I don't know, I would prefer it to be private. So uh, knowing that it's probably not kind of sucks, but it helps me sleep at night knowing that I'm at least taking steps to at least make it harder for things to be tracked down. And uh, I, I I know for sure that I have a smaller, I guess, digital footprint would be the word here or phrase here. Um, that has gotten a lot smaller as I use more and more services like DuckDuckGo, like Brave, like Adblockers, 1.1.1, VPNs, uh, all these things I think add up bit by bit. Do you feel like you're missing out on anything, like the potential interconnectedness of apps that you're no longer using or services you're no longer using? Do you feel that missing? Not yet. I think if I move off Gmail, uh, I will start to feel that pain just for their like calendar integrations. I mean, for the most part, I've weaned off most other services that I just don't trust. So I, I don't feel like I'm missing out too much there. I feel quite at peace giving a lot of these things up. That's good. It's certainly a pattern. <laughs> like the, the more people give up technology stuff, the happier they are. Yeah, in general, right? Uh, I've never gone on like a technology vacation or whatever it's called. Have you done that before? I go on camping trips where there's no cell service or outlets. That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you come back feeling refreshed or? Yeah. Yeah. Every time. Do you think you could sustain that for an extended period of time? I don't think I want to sustain it. I think like to, to say all technology and screens are bad is I think foolish at this point. Obviously, getting able, being able to talk with people and see what's going on in the world is is really valuable. So I wouldn't want to give that up completely. So you're saying a bit of both. I suppose my I'm advocating for just more knowledge about what's going on. Like if people know that this alternative DNS resolver exists, if people know that VPNs exist, then they can choose whether or not to use it. And that's up to them. But at least they know that that option is available to them. And I feel like some of this stuff sounds too technical or you know requires too much fiddling in settings and configurations that most people just skip it so i guess i'd call it it's just getting better like there are people building companies that care about privacy and are trying to make this stuff more usable i think one password is a perfect example here like one password is a very usable and, and powerful app and i think companies like that are doing really good work here yeah well uh if it makes it feel better i downloaded that brave app I am going to do that one, 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 one thing. That was too many ones. Uh, four ones. And I'm going to do the credit report thing that you mentioned. Uh-huh. Carrier pen. Oh, uh, yeah, I think I have that set up. Okay. You've influenced me, if, if only that. Good, good. And I, I'll put a couple links, or I guess you'll put a couple links in the show notes, but there's a couple more resources that I think have are actually more entertaining on the topic. So Wired puts out a digital security guide every year. We have a link there in the show notes. And they basically group things you should do depending on if you are 
a normal person, a journalist, or a spy, which is kind of a fun way to determine, you know, what things you should actually worry about. Is the journalist thing in order to protect yourself from people attacking you, or what's the... Uh, yeah, journalists are have a lot more concerns around sources and emails getting leaked and things like that. Oh, yeah, sources. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You would not want your, your emails with deep throat or whatever to, to get out. Yeah. The other thing is a podcast called Cyber, which is produced by Motherboard. It's pretty new. They only have, uh, let's see here, eight episodes. They're pretty short, like 20 minutes. Uh, but one of them was about SIM hijacking, which turned me on to that and helped me in, uh, set up my carrier pin. But anyways, it's a cybersecurity podcast, which is interesting. And then the last thing, which I thought was super fun, was the Reply All episode where they talked about phishing and how good hackers are getting at phishing people. It is scary how good they are these days. And so there's a Reply All episode if you want to listen to that about God, just how easy it is to get fooled these days. I don't think I want to listen to it, to be honest with you. Trust no email. Trust no URL. Nothing is safe. I'm good at that stuff. I don't I don't click on links in emails. Yeah, okay. Now that you said that, you definitely have to listen to this episode. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Anyways, do you have any cool things, Brian? Yes. How about you go? Because I need to give my throat a break. I just feel it. I talked for 30 minutes. Oh, God, yeah. I'm so sick of your voice. Jesus. I'm sick of hearing myself talk. Let's go. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, my cool thing. Welcome back, 2019, another YouTube channel recommendation. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> yeah, was that air horn? Uh-huh. Oh, you know what we need is one of those soundboards. Yeah, uh, little fart little fart buttons and stuff. Uh-huh. Ira and the Say douche. Say what? <laughs> Crazy Ira and the douche, isn't that it? I don't know what you're talking about, but... Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, not you. Oh, okay, that is fun. Okay, tell me your cool video game thing. Actually, it's not video games. Uh, no, it is video games, actually. So this is a channel. The The guy's name is Prez, P-R-E-S, and he plays a game called Cities Colon Skylines. Are you familiar with this video game, Brian? I have seen you play it, yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, actually play it or watch it being played? I have seen your creations. Okay, not uh, Planet Coaster. This is oh, Cities Skylines. Oh, shit, I'm thinking of Planet Coaster. Okay, Planet Coaster... Also, this is an interesting side note. Historically, there's been one franchise that has ruled the SimCity genre, simulation of a city genre, and that is SimCity, go figure. And they were like, not maybe not the first, but definitely the best, and they had a long line of games that were very successful, and they ruled the roost. And their most recent game was in 2013, SimCity 2013, was not very good. That same year, I believe, or very soon after, Another company, a company called Colossal Order, came out with uh, their own version. Actually, it was pretty ripped off of, of uh, SimCity, if I'm being honest. Like, the UI is all very different, but kind of worse. Anyways, but it was a better game overall. The systems were better, the way they set things up, everything was better. And that was the one that was successful. And it was really crazy that this franchise that had ruled the roost for so long ended up being number two to this, you know, underdog. A uh, similar thing happened with Planet Coaster. Roller Coaster Tycoon was was the reigning game for a long time, but their most recent version was not very good, and a underdog came in made by uh, Frontier Games. Planet Coaster, much, much better than Roller Coaster Tycoon World, I think is the newest one. Yeah, anyways, sorry, side note. Back to the game, City Skylines. It's a, sim it's a city simulation game, and you can play it like normal. You you know, try, you have residential and commercial and industrial areas. If you played SimCity, it's that kind of thing. But you have a lot more control. You can make curvy roads and stuff. It's all, it's all really beautiful. There are some people, if a small number of people, 
who have YouTube channels who play this game differently from everyone else. And uh, there are a ton of mods for this game. So City Skylines has a huge mod community. People make models that can be put into the game, all sorts of trees and fences and, and stuff, and uh, all these detailing items that you want to, everything from small stuff to full-on buildings. And you can download these things, subscribe to them in the, their uh, public library, basically. What's it called? The community? I don't know. But you have access to all these things, and you can essentially treat this game as though it is a model-building game. So if you've ever seen like a, a train model where it's everything is a certain scale this guy specifically and there's a few others i'll put in the show notes silverette being one of them and flux trance and fresh popcorn these guys all do the same thing which is maniacal level of detail and plan it's they're basically planning a city they're building a giant model city and they're placing individual buildings individual trees individual lines on the road because the road doesn't line up just right and cr- oh my tweaking God. every curve and making sure that the highway connections are beautiful and you know everything looks real they're using lookup tables LUTs that make it look like reality as far as everything from the the lighting to the textures and everything they're adding so many decals and details and stuff to make parking lots look like they're busted up instead of being pristine and like basically just kind of aging the city to make it look real and then they do these cinematic fly-throughs where you see what they just built typically in a uh, fast-forwarded time lapse um, of them actually building the thing then they'll do uh, this guy particularly Prez will do uh, what he just built as a cinematic or it's slow fly through and it's fucking sunset and it's beautiful and like you, you get to see like this little world that he just built every little nook and cranny of and you saw him make the decisions in real time but sped up uh, I don't know <laughs> it's a really nerdy thing but I fucking love it and I can just sit and watch it forever I'm, I'm watching uh, his flyover of Falcon Falls mm, yeah so his newest two series are New Windsor which is a uh, it's, it's kind of loosely based on Providence, Rhode Island. So it's that northeast in fall, like a crisp fall day. So all the trees are orange and red and yellow. It's like kind of this frozen moment of a beautiful fall day. There's, he's got decals for uh, leaves on the ground. So he's like, you know, got uh, leaves piled up in the gutters and under the trees. And he has trees that don't have any leaves and trees that have some leaves. Really, really cool. Uh, there's another one called Calavera Beach where it's a, it's kind of set on the uh, Southern California coast type city based on Valencia or something like that. I forget exactly, but yeah, uh, it's really cool. And they're totally different climates, right? Like totally different visual styles and different types of houses and everything. So the way the city's laid out, depending on the terrain, if it's hilly or, or, or not, if there's a lot of trees or if those trees are palm trees, it completely changes the look. And he tries to be realistic with everything. Links in the show notes. Fucking love this shit. These videos are as always, blowing my mind. Well, one, that somebody has the patience to do this, but two, the, the outcome actually looks amazing. It's really nice. These guys spend thousands of hours on these huge maps. That hurts me to hear. And they just do it a little bit, a little bit at a time, right? And, but it's like oh my God. their ability to maintain a larger view of the overall city and figure out what they want to do and how they want to hook everything up because they very rarely go over and redo anything that they've already done. Like, they put it down and it's it's finished. Cool. Uh, well, this week, Kevin Clark of Layout FM fame, Layout Podcast, listen now at spec.fm. Uh, he tweeted, Letterboxd feels like a social network from a much simpler time in a good way. And I read that tweet and I said, what is Letterboxd? And why is there a social network that I've never heard about? And why is it good? And why is it simple in a good way? 
And so I looked it up and it is basically a social network for watching movies loosely. But anyways, it reminded me of another app that I use called Watchlist, which is made by Keegan Jones. It's basically where I stored all the movies that I want to watch and we pick from that list quite often every time we get together and watch a movie. So I think these are really cool, uh, but Letterboxd is basically watch list on steroids where you can enter, here's, here's things I've seen, here's things I want to see, and uh, what Letterboxd can do in theory if you pay for their pro account is start to give you sort of stats and analytics, which I nerd out about about the movies that you watch. And so I haven't upgraded to Pro because they're missing some things that I think would actually be really compelling. Specifically, I think it'd be really interesting to be able to have a percentage complete for a actor's filmography or, or uh, like a director or maybe even a specific uh, production company, like being able to filter, like here's all the movies that this actor's ever been in and yeah. I've seen 90% of that. Yeah, how, how much have I completed my Kubrickian phase? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. yeah. Have I finished Wes Anderson? That kind of thing. I like this idea. We should build this app. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The world needs another movie app. But I, I do like that idea. So Letterboxd is really compelling to me. But also just from a, like, there's this completionist bug in me where it's like, if you can tap, I've seen this movie and just go through this list of, yes, I've seen this. Yes, I've seen this. Yes, I've seen this. You build up this really beautiful library that feels impressive. Like, wow, I've seen a lot of things and uh, it brings up good memories. And that's actually what triggered me to want to rewatch uh, Indiana Jones tonight. It's like, oh man, there's some good stuff here that I haven't seen in a long time. So you, after you found out about the letterbox thing, what, what, what did you do? I texted you. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I texted Marshall and I said, I think this is right up your alley. And you replied. Yeah, you're like, have you heard of this letterbox thing? I'm like, I just deleted the app a couple months ago because <laughs> yeah. I'd had it for, uh, it's been around for years. They have like an Apple TV app, which yeah, I think I, I told I, you about. I can't and, believe I'd never heard of it or you never told me about it. But I, I totally, the reason that I have the app is because I have those same feels of like, yeah, just let me tap through and go, seen it, seen it, seen it, and, and amass this collection, right? Um, which they do a really good job of just feeding you movies like you can scroll through the if it's the same as what it was when i did is like you can just scroll through this list endlessly and uh, you don't have to search for stuff they'll just feed you stuff and i think it's based on what you've already seen they'll show you other movies you've probably already seen is this accurate yeah so i went through that whole process but then i never really touched it again but you do a lot more manual curation of your movie stuff than i do i just rely on my itunes library yeah i think that plus the watch list feature, which I use the separate watch list app for. That's nice. I do like having a thing, a, a list of things like, oh yeah, I, I heard someone like that or a friend recommended it. I'll just need to note it down somewhere so I don't forget it. Well, can't you do that with Letterboxd though? You can like add to a watch list? You can do it with both. Are you, are you going to convert? Not right now. I, I don't need that many more new apps. Plus watch list kind of has that, but I don't think Keegan's shipped too many updates, which makes me sad. But anyways, it, it did get me thinking about, oh man, there's some really cool analytics that you could pump into a, a movie watching thing. And then of course you could split that across different verticals like books, uh, music, things like that. Like, have I heard all of Chance the Rapper? You know, that kind of thing. Well, plus I, w I would not only want it to give me stats, but I wanted it would to, to like seed into the future and say like, hey, there's a new Wes Anderson movie, movie coming out in a couple months. Buy a ticket. Revenue model. Ooh. Yeah, forward and backward, Brian. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I'm a visionary. You are. You are. So let's build it. That's our new side project, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we wrap up? We should. Well, it was a, it was a bit of a paranoid first uh, foray into, into the new year, but 
I think it was a good one. One that I, I derived much value from, Brian. I hope so. I think there's a lot to talk about on the design side of this that we didn't get to cover, but maybe we can cover that incrementally bit by bit. I think this is just a, in the same way you had the smart home sort of brain dump here was a privacy sort of primer for people in 2019. So maybe we can spend more time in the future talking about the design of certain features there. Yeah, for sure. Add that to the list. Done. All right. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks for giving us a two-week break. It was really nice to not have to record for a couple weeks. I think that's okay to admit, uh, but it also is nice to be back and recording in 2019. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much to ReadyMag for sponsoring the show. ReadyMag is a design tool that sits in your browser. It lets you draw and design web publications and publish it online without writing a line of code. It gives you complete creative freedom. Uh, it lets you embed your designs on another website. You can write custom code. Uh, ReadyMag will host your projects for you. Uh, it is SEO friendly, it is uh, responsive, and it comes with tons of custom fonts and templates, making it really easy to design something beautiful like Claudio Guglieri's examples. Uh, links in the show notes. Go check out his work built on ReadyMag. So if you go to readymag.com and you use the promo code design details, the first 50 people to do that will get 40% off their first payment. So again, readymag.com. And if you are upgrading to pro, use the promo code design details. That'll save you 40%. Nice. And uh, of course, thank you, Sarah and Drew. Sarah and Drew also had a two-week break since we weren't recording. So hope they had a good break and uh, have had fun editing our pretty long episode, first episode of 2019. So thank you, Sarah and Drew, as always, for mastering and producing and making us sound smarter than we are. Thank you. Uh, if you want more podcasts, like uh, go listen to, to Layout. They've been pumping out content over the break, unlike us. That's at spec.fm or uh, listen to Layout at layout.fm. Uh, we've got lots of podcasts for designers and developers just like you. So hit us up on Twitter if you have feedback. If we've missed anything or made mistakes on this privacy deep dive, I would love to know. Also, if there's other tools or things I should know about, that would be great to hear as well. So tweet at us. We're at Design Details FM. Sweet. I think that's it, Marshall. I feel like I've talked more in the last two hours than I have all winter break. <laughs> that's how I felt after the smart home episode, so don't feel bad. Okay, okay. Whew. All right, man. All right. Enjoy the rest of your uh, ski trip, and uh, I'll see you next week. Sounds good. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> TTFN, ta-ta for now. It's been a while since I've heard that. It's old school Winnie the Pooh stuff. What? TTFN, Tata for now. That's Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. What? That's Winnie the Pooh? I thought that was just AIM. Oh my God, Brian. <laughs> Holy shit. TTFN, Tata for now. I'm pretty sure that's a Tigger line. Okay, when I get back, we're going to watch six hours of Winnie the Pooh. Sound good? Cool.